Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm Stacy Martin. I'm glad you're here. I'm joined by my friend Mike Bowler, who is the lead pastor of ministry here, but also the campus pastor at Waxhaw. And uh, you guys will remember Mike from other podcasts, but I'm really glad you're here because we are wrapping up our series on read the return to something new the return to something new so exciting and you know i'm so impressed that you would say that people would remember me from former podcasts because i tell people when i preach a message on sunday that if they carry that message just to lunch that day i've been a huge success so the (laughs) fact that someone would remember me from weeks ago that would be amazing listen the listeners here they're very sharp i have no doubt highly intelligent highly highly in tune with what's going on. I have no doubt. My my statement was not on their qualifications. It was much more on my qualifications for delivering something that would be memorable. So we'll see if I do today. I'm sure you gave some really good nuggets of uh, wisdom this last time. Uh, Excellent. You don't remember any of them. I I don't. No, no, I can't even, I can't, not even a single anecdote. I'm raising the bar today. We'll see how I do. All right. (laughs) I'm I'm looking forward to it. All right. So this message, we were wrapping up with the the concept of renewal. So we've talked about restoration. We've talked, now we're talking about renewal. So in this series, we have really paired this verse from Isaiah 61 um, with Luke. A lot of, back in, you know, Isaiah's in the Old Testament, Luke is in the New Testament. But for this message, we didn't pair it with Luke, we paired it with Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. And Revelation, to me, is a weird book, partly because (laughs) I grew up Methodist and you don't talk about it. Okay, yep. You don't, you kind of talk about heaven. But you don't talk about this like new heaven, new earth thing or like what happens if Jesus comes back. That is not a Methodist sensibility. Ah, So why is the book of Revelation so hard to understand? Well, I'm certain that the Methodists are not alone in the fact that the book of Revelation has uh, throughout church history been a difficult one to interpret. So it's not just the Methodists, it's all of us who have looked at the book of Revelation and asked the question, how should we on both an individual level and a larger church family level and the church universal level interpret this book? It is, and and it is a challenge for sure. It's one that as you look at the ways that people have interpreted the book of Revelation, there are a uh, number of ways, and, and I won't go through all of them today, but I want to give you kind of the overview of the way the church has seen this, because as you approach this book, it is, uh, it's like a dream almost. It's as if in some ways with the apocalyptic language or the visionary language, mm-hmm. it's almost like it would be if I had a dream and were trying to describe it to you. Okay. So, Things are and it highly, was written by John, so was, John's the one who is describing this. Right? So most people believe that it was the same John who wrote other parts of the New Testament. Okay. There's a you know little bit of disagreement on that. There's a little disagreement on almost everything. Uh, so generally, people say it was John who wrote this, and, and it would be like trying to describe a dream of he he is talking about things, and you hear this in the very beginning. He's talking about things that he says are going to quickly happen. So you see this where he's saying this is going to quickly happen. And the church has tried to figure out, is this a statement on when Jesus comes back? You know, kind of a future vision that will be of when the when Jesus comes back and makes everything right in the world. And how will he do that? And there's all kinds of, you know, you have people who say that Jesus is going to come back and then there'll be a thousand years. You have people who say Jesus is going to come back and we're all going to rise up together. And, and honestly, I... 
Although those are fascinating conversations, and there have been some great fiction written on that. I was going to say, the whole Left Behind series? Oh, fascinating. And then they did the movies, and oh, then yeah, they Kirk did Cameron. the cartoons. and the, Well, maybe they did Oh, my gosh, cartoons. Rapture cartoons? Yes. Oh, Lord have mercy. That was – well, that's – and you talk to some people. I know uh, I have a friend who told me that in his Christian school they had rapture drills. Well, Kind of like you'd have fire drills – they had rapture drills. Well, Paula Forte, who's on staff here, she did a staff devotional a, a couple months ago where her mom, they had rapture bags by the back door, packed. Like, I, I don't... Just in case. I don't... With, like, canned goods and water, which I haven't seen that line up in scripture, but yeah. God bless Paula's that, mom for preparing them for Jesus coming back. With canned with goods. beanie weenies yeah, and some bottled water. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Now, here's the thing. It's we hopefully we can all laugh at ourselves because all of our Christian traditions have these uniquenesses that are both true and some of them more are human ideas. Here's the thing that uh, we do believe and take very seriously about the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation was written and included in the canon, the Bible, uh, specifically for the reason, I think, no matter how you view, whether you view the book of Revelation as this forward futuristic model like the Left Behind series is based on, whether you view it more as something that was written to the church in the first century, it was based more off of what was transpiring in the first, the first centuries of the church, or whether you see it as a spiritual interpretation of the reality of the kingdom of God. There are all kinds of ways to look at it, but regardless of whichever one of those you take, there's no escaping some bottom line realities of the book of Revelation. First would be that the book of Revelation was written to the church, Christians, to encourage them in times of diversity. And diversity in times of <laughs> adversity. That in times of adversity, in times where the church is challenged, where individuals are challenged, it is meant to encourage the church and to say, God has got this. Now, we don't, Jesus is clear, none of us know the exact hour of the day. Biblical scholars, a lot smarter than me, try to figure out what exactly the timing is and how it's all going to line up and what it's, and you get some of the funny stuff of, you know, rapture bags by the door and things, but, but everybody tries to line it up and figure it out, but everybody agrees that this book was written, one, to say, church, be assured, Christian, experiencing difficulty in life, be assured Jesus has got this thing covered. It also, no doubt, paints this futuristic picture of good versus evil. So you see things like dragon, you see things like, you know, uh, armies, you see things like writing to different churches that are struggling, that really are more, uh, you know, however you see those individual churches, it's really meant to encourage people who are struggling, who, for example, lost their love for Jesus. So there's a, a letter to a church that's lost its love for Jesus and says, be careful about that. Be cautious because you can lose your spiritual flame if you don't do these things. So the book of Revelation is amazing. You can really get bogged down and then just go, I'm going to set that on the shelf. Or you can see it as, how can I see this as a story of encouragement meant for the church, full of God's truth, inerrant, absolutely infallible, absolutely, but cautious in how we interpret it, that we don't get so lost in how does all the detail of this work out and more in the broad stroke of God saying, I've got this. Mm -hmm. Things in life that are hard, you're going to face adversity. The church has always faced adversity. However, in the end, every tear will be wiped. Every 
sense of pain and suffering in the world will be diminished and gone and you will be my people and you're going to live with me so be assured of that in the end well and you said diversity a few minutes ago even though you but that's part of this vision as well as he talks about that every every race every ethnicity every every color of skin language tongue tribe will be represented in this new heaven and new earth you know that's what we talk about a lot of times you know you hear about churches really striving for diversity because a lot of times you hear it said that the most segregated hour on Sundays is the time church is in place. So like we talk about that churches need to reflect the diversity of the kingdom because God says, here, this is what's going to happen. When I institute this new heaven and new earth, you're going to have every color, every tongue, every language, every tribe represented there. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Such a powerful, that is the destination. Uh, If you go back in the New Testament, uh, Paul gives the spiritual basis for this when he says that the old ways of dividing people because this is you know everywhere we go we divide up even at parties you know when you're in middle school and you're at a party it's boys and girls on Mm -hmm. the opposite sides when you're in high school everybody's together then when you uh, somehow i don't know what happened i don't know if you've experienced this but somehow after you get out of college and you begin having adult friends and adult parties, you go back to the husband wives all <laughs> gather in different rooms together. I don't, but we divide out in all these ways. And what Paul is saying uh, in the in a letter to a place called Galatia is he's saying that those old ways, ways of saying men and women, ways of saying um, old and young, ways of saying slave and free, the, all the ways that society has separated people. Uh, those ways have now diminished and gone away. We have our oneness in Jesus Christ. We're all one, no, no longer separated by all the ways that society would see. And that's the spiritual basis of what Jesus is accomplishing, which is what's happening in the book of Revelation. Because mm-hmm. in the book of Revelation, in the end, what it's saying is that Jesus is going to conquer talks about the Lamb of God, the Lion of Jude, that Jesus is going to, described in all these different ways, overcome evil. He already has on the cross. There are those who would say that some parts of the book of Revelation are actually showing the way that a, a spiritual understanding of the way that Jesus conquers evil and death and establishes the kingdom of God, of life, among all God's people from every tribe and every nation. It's a powerful thing. So Thank you for the, uh, I guess I, uh, you diagnosed my Freudian slip there with saying <laughs> diversity, because I what that is absolutely true. It is a centerpiece of the book of Revelation. Well, what I love about how this connects back to the book of Isaiah. So yep. Isaiah being a prophecy from the Old Testament that we've mm-hmm. been talking about, Revelation being at the end of the New Te- Testament, the end of the Bible, is that there is this phrase that is repeated in both places. So in Revelation, um, God says, I am making all things new. I am making all things new like that. I don't know what the grammatical term present progressive something where you've got the ing hanging participle something. I'm communications. I should know that. But (laughs) but you know, see, I'm making all things new. And then in Isaiah, you see the same thing. The the prophet Isaiah says he is making all things new. Can't you perceive it? Yes. Like, I love that you've got something so ancient, like Mm -hmm. the Old Testament prophecy and something that's so forward thinking both saying i am making all things new yes how does that how does that work out where you where we see 
God making all things new in the past, in the present, and in the future. How does that work out? So that's great. I I love that you're uh, struggling with all the heiress tense, the present tense, the future tense. That was one of the most confusing things for me. I had to take an English class before I took Greek and Hebrew because I didn't understand all the different ways. It's so confusing. But uh, regardless, that is exactly what that is. It is the idea of ongoing, that God is both making things new, in the past, in the present, and in the future. And in the book of Isaiah, and this is one of the amazing things of seeing the connectivity of Scripture. It is, in fact, one of the reasons why when people say, how can you believe the Bible? Well, the Bible is written over thousands of years with all these different authors, and yet there is a common stream. The common stream that we know is the author. And the author is writing through these different people, through all these different circumstances, with some of the same themes flowing throughout all of them. That kind of collaboration could never happen if it were not divinely inspired. Can you imagine trying to get a group of humans to collaborate over centuries for one piece of artwork? Yes. It would never happen. Never. It could not happen without Jesus. Let's just go ahead and say it. my family struggles with how are we, where are we going to decide to eat tonight? Oh, Lord, I mean, we've yes. got all these. So the idea that that would actually happen over a long period of time, it is one of the proofs, I think, for the historicity and also the authority of Scripture. But let's look for a minute at making all things new. So this is this idea that uh, is talked about, as you said, in Isaiah. And one of the things that he says that I love, that I have been challenged by personally when I've gone through difficult times, either individually or my family, or our church, is is it possible to miss what God is doing? And the answer is, yeah, it is possible. He wouldn't have said that if it wasn't possible to actually miss what's happening. And do one you of not the, perceive it? Yes, yeah. do you not perceive it? In other words, don't miss it. Don't miss what's what God's doing. Now, do I think God hides stuff from us? No. I don't think God goes, here's my will. Quick, catch it. Did you get it? Oh, it's gone. I don't think God does that. I think what God does is he says, you can be so disrupted by things in your life that you'll actually miss what I'm doing in the, in the middle of this challenging season. So you'll miss that what feels like this terrible situation is actually a catalytic environment for God to do amazing work. But what we do is we're so, and I am certainly, you know, you hear some people say no pain, no gain. My theory is no pain, no pain. <laughs> so we tend to just back up from pain and go, I don't, I don't want any part of that. But the reality is that turbulent times, painful times, actually can be some of the most transformative times that God begins to make things new. So rather than trying to back up or rather than getting so caught up in what does this mean, and this is the big one, um, what does this mean about me? We tend to filter almost everything in our lives through the filter of me. So, and it makes sense because, I mean, That's how, I have to live with me creating, all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a freedom that comes when you begin to ask the question, not what's in this for me, but God, what are you doing here? That shifts a lot from how do I get out of this or how do I get more out of this or how do I get into this or how does this, you know, how do I stop feeling this pain or start feeling? Rather than doing that, we start going, God, what are you doing here? Because, and not in a, hey, God, you owe me an explanation, but more in a, God, I want to know what you're doing here. I want to see this thing you're doing here. Help me to see it, to perceive it, and then I can join in with it. Oh, that's good. So it helps people to be able to shift to much more of an idea of, 
hey, God actually is at work here. So let's, this is what Henry Blackaby years ago wrote a book, and it was find what God's doing and join in with him. Don't try to like gin up your own ideas of what God's doing. Just ask him to show you what he's doing and join in with what he's doing. Well, it's interesting. You know, you hear in the new year, you hear a lot of people say that the Lord gave them a word for the new year. Yes. I had never been one of those people. Like right. the Lord never gave me a thematic direction for the, for the year. year. All right. But except for this past year, I felt like the Lord was telling me that I needed to learn how to be more watchful. Hmm. And so I had this word watch and I just kept thinking like, God, well, what is, what do you mean I need to watch? You know, I feel like I'm fairly aware of what's going on. Yep. You know, I try to spend time with you. I try to be a grateful person, mm-hmm. but I really spent all of 2019 thinking about what that word watch meant and asking mm-hmm. God to open my eyes about what I was yep. perceiving or what was happening around me, whether it was the struggles my kids were going through, whether it was new seasons in my marriage or in my family or mm-hmm. at work or in the in relationships, all of it was like, God, this is, if I look at it through my own lens, yep. it's going to be Stacy colored. Like it's going to be, yeah. it's, it's going to be the way I want it to be or the way I don't want it to be. Whatever is going to serve me the most, Yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting to see, to have God reveal some very unique things to me, specifically around my kids, huh. about just the season that we're in. I was really surprised at, like you were saying, God was inviting me into something mm-hmm. instead of me trying to create my own solution, my own path, my own pathway forward. I got to join in on what he was doing and actually watch it unfold in a way that you know, we laugh about this whole spooky Jesus thing, but like it was a, when I opened my eyes and started paying attention to what God was doing, it was better than what I could imagine and could have only happened through God, not through my own, my own strength, you know? So I think one of the things that you really did well as you spent this year looking at that is that we tend to, and this is what a lot of us would get discouraged by and i imagine even some of the listeners get discouraged by is what you said as you began god really hasn't given me a word for the year and and you know i I think it's important there some people express things in ways like god beams signals directly into their brain (laughs) and god may because god can do anything he wants to but for a lot of christians they don't feel like God's beaming thoughts into their head directly. Mm-hmm. They say, I never hear God speak to me. Exactly. Yeah. That's exa- So one of the things that I encourage folks to do is to, is to hear that for many of us, God's not coming from the outside into our heads. He's coming from the inside up. Absolutely. So that it's gut this, feeling. Yeah, it's this quiet. It's beginning to trust. You, know, you hear people say, trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's sometimes where we shouldn't trust our gut. I mean, we're honestly, you know, we're very self. But as we begin to um, just be quiet and still and ask God, you know, what are you doing in this circumstance? How can I see more of you in this? And just give it time. God does tend to come from the inside out because we're told that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit lives inside of us. And and the idea is that that this uh, knowing or uh, the Old Testament has this word rhema, and it's God's word. It's God's word, and it's specifically his word to me. So whereas there's logos in the New Testament that's more God's expression of his word to the world, um, rhema is more God's specific word to me. It's a belief that God does speak at times directly to us, but not for most people. Not For some, it de- absolutely is a supernatural experience 
that is very much a, whoa, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But for many of us that don't have that, it's important to recognize that doesn't mean God's not speaking. It just means it's not in quite the the uh, high-profile, dramatic way. And for many of us, what happens is, as we read God's Word, it sits inside. This is my own. Now, now I'm going to give you kind of, I'm, I'm going on the edge here. So, okay. This is you my said own. you were feeling spicy. Today, I, so yes, I am. <laughs> so here we go. But I think as we read God's Word, we're told, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And mm. the, the idea is that God's Word sits within us, I think. And I'm sure you probably had this experience where, you know, you'll you'll read some of the scriptures and and all of a sudden a circumstance will bring a verse up. And it's like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. And it's that inside out. It's that renewing of our mind by not God beaming something, but God uh, revealing himself through his word in us. This is what a lot of people are like. Well, I never hear from God. Well, number one, are you reading the Bible? because I think that's how God's going to speak to you most clearly is through the Bible. Number two, are you hanging out with people who can help test that? Because sometimes we get it wrong. I mean, sometimes, you know, and I, and I do a good bit of pastoral counseling have done in the past. And, and you know, I, this is a technique that I was scared to use at first with people because um, they would come in and they would, uh, you know, talk about some difficult thing in their life. And, and it would make me a little nervous. I felt like I had to have all the answers. Yeah. So I needed, you know, to just shoot all the answers at them, and that would just, they'd be good then. What I recognized is that more times than not, when I was shooting all the answers to them, it, it wasn't really penetrating. It was just me feeling better about having all the answers. So I started asking a question of people. Uh, tell me, after they would come in and they would really unburden themselves with a, with a long story. So after maybe 40 minutes of them talking, I'd ask the question, so, so what do you think God says about this? How is God... Uh, revealing himself to you in this and it would shift things because they were wanting me to give them all the answers but most people if we're if we're ingesting God's word for reading it um, we we're not going to understand all of it I mean like book of revelation there's a lot we're not going to understand but but as we're reading it and we are understanding we are growing that that God reveals things to us and a lot of times people will say things and to hear them say it is like they'll go whoa yeah that is right I'm like wow, that is right. You're correct in that. So one of the really important things if we are trying to see God do a new thing in us is to make sure that we're doing our part to read God's Word, spend time in His Word. Now, I hear this a lot, and um, best advice I got, because whenever you talk about reading God's Word in quiet time, what is the number one emotion you hear from people? That they're not doing it right. Guilt. Yep. I used to feel like unless I could sit at my kitchen table with a candle lit mm -hmm. and a mug and like beautiful lighting and my kids were it's, not in the home because sure. there's no way I can get close to the Lord if my kids are in a two mile radius of yes. me. Uh -huh. I mean, it had to be perfect. The house had to be clean. It had to just be in this beautiful, like I had to have a highlighter and a good uh -huh. pen and a journal that Ann Voss Camp would envy, you know, just beautiful. Instrumental music <laughs> on instrumental the back. Instrumental music. Yep. Yeah. And then I would feel guilt when I got halfway through a verse and a baby would cry on the monitor or I'd get you know, halfway through something, I'd get distracted because I could see the crumbs on the counter because mm -hmm. the light coming through the window. Yeah, I felt guilt that I was never, ever, ever going to create a rhythm of the spiritual discipline. Yes. Because my life was just not going to let me. So what's interesting is you said earlier that this year God put specific word on your heart and that as you spent time in that, 
he brought your kids around to it. Mm-hmm. So rather than your kids actually being the distraction, which your kids are great. You don't, uh, don't, don't us, say that. You know my kids. You see I them. I know your kids. They They're great. They eat like 30 minutes from the hospitality table every Sunday okay. and wrestle in the middle of the atrium <laughs> after they've stolen pebble ice from the staff kitchen. <laughs> that is true, but that actually, I like that they're so comfortable. Church is like home to them. Oh, it's, yeah. They flip their shoes off, they eat mints, and sit back and watch TV. It's great. And along with my kids and all the other kids at church, it's a great thing. But your kids are great. But one of the things that um, a lot of us have is this sense of tension around, you know, hey, well, I got to, you know, everything has to bear out everything. And yet God used the thing that you were saying, gosh, you know, really they disrupt my rhythm of spirituality to actually be God's messenger to you, which is really an exciting thing. But it took your being willing to say, I'm going to stick on this for a while. God, I'm going to see what you are doing as I spend a long time on this. And one of the things that best advice I got on a quiet time, kind of how to spend time with God, because, you know, Jonathan encouraged us this week to really spend time. One of the best advice I ever got was early in ministry, uh, a pastor mentor said, you're going to get told this is the exact way to do this. And it's, you know, pictures kind of like you just, it is, this is the exact way to do it. This is the time to connect with God. This is the methodology to connect, connect with God. And this will always be the way that it needs to happen. And it needs to be completely disconnected from every other part of your life. So it's like God is on an island and then there's the rest of our world swirling around us. He said, that's the exact opposite. He said, number one, you it's going to look different at different seasons. So don't think that one size fits all for all your life. He said, there'll be times where Bible reading is going to be really important. There'll be times where reading books are really important. There are times where just silence or nature is really important or music is important. He said, don't nail down this is the way it always has to be because God's going to work through all those things in your life if you'll give him space and time to do that. I think that's going to give people so much freedom to hear that because you hear people say, and my husband's like this, Mike loves the Lord, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have the capacity or he doesn't feel like he has the capacity in the season to sit every morning for the first 15 minutes and, and, you know, look at a a scripture and say, Lord, speak to me through this this scripture and then sit and meditate on it. But when he's in nature, Mm -hmm. he feels the closest to God. And so he does, he spends a lot of time out in the woods and mountain biking and hiking. And that's when he feels like he's communing with with God. But I think he's always felt a sense of guilt about it. Like maybe I'm not the spiritual leader of the home like I should be because gosh, Stacy is reading the book of John and I'm going for a hike. I I must not be a spiritual. And that could not be further from the truth. Yep, that's a great example. And, And you know, there are ways for Mike, which I'm sure he does, to take that reality of this season of his life and infuse some Christian discipline into that when he probably isn't even thinking that he's doing that. For example, there's the Christian discipline of silence. That silence is transformative. Uh, I don't Henry Nowen well. and other, yeah, well, <laughs> that's professional, you know, uh, problem that you can't be silent a lot. So we get that. But, um, but there, that's a real discipline. Uh, even people like Henry Nowen uh, have, have written a lot on that. Other Christian saints throughout the ages have written on the transformative nature of silence. Well, Mike's out on a mountain, hiking, biking. It's silent. He's not worshiping nature. He's actually in part of what you could call a sanctuary. 
a place where he's able to be silent and to hear God's voice. So I'm not, I, I it's important to recognize, now Mike may change and 10 years from now, Mike may go, hey, you know what? I really want to take a class on the book of Revelation. Well, fantastic. Then you go to that. Now, we're not saying don't pray, never read the Bible, don't go to church. Don't. We're not saying that at all. But what we are saying is there are unique times with our intimacy with God that it looks different in different ways in different places. And to enjoy the freedom that God gives us in that mm-hmm. and to enjoy the transformative nature and to not think that because we don't look like 10 minutes at 6.15 in the morning with everything still and quiet. It's just like with kids. Some people really feel like it's important to have a family quiet time where everybody sits down. Some people, uh, this is what Andre and I have done, we will have a few of those, but more than that, it's on the job training. My wife is great at this. She will just randomly in the middle of something our family is doing, pick out the importance of the spirituality of that moment and how it connects to Jesus. Just randomly, like in the middle of the game of Monopoly. Hey, wait a minute now. You guys are learning how to and fill in the blank with what the spiritual principle is. Now, I'd love to say our kids are always like, Mother, that was such a wonderful lesson for us. We will honor you at the gates or whatever that Proverbs 31. (laughs) We are so thankful. We will rise up and call you blessed. Yes. Um, They will say that one day, but they are not saying that now. And it's not to paint a picture that it's always perfect. But what I would say is that trying to capitalize on natural moments to infuse spiritual disciplines are very important. And there'll be other seasons where it's really important to actually um, try as much as you can to push into something that's not comfortable, like you did this year with your one word. Never done that before, decided you were going to do that. God's really brought that around in a powerful way. And I imagine it was discipline on your part to say, I'm going to actually focus on that and see that come to fruition. But we deploy discipline in all kinds of areas in our lives to yield the result we want. Well, it's interesting in this season, the Lord brought Isaiah 61 to me way before it before it circled back around yep. to the church. And partly because my oldest son, Michael, is of joy, but he's strong-willed. I mean, he's, he's me and his father, like uh-huh. to a T. And there was some real frustration where I felt like I was missing the window to parent him well. And like, what was, could, is he gonna use his powers for good or evil? Like, how do I get this kid? I don't want him to lead a prison gang. Lord have mercy. I'd love for him to like be a a good, strong leader and lead people, you know, to Jesus and fight for people in the margins. But at this point, if this takes a hard left, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to start saving on bail money. (laughs) Like I had this deep seated fear that I was gonna miss my window. And so I felt this like scarcity of I'm not doing it right. What book can I read? What what parenting technique? What discipline? What it was all about solutions that yep. I had to start. Mm-hmm. And so finally, I just said, God, I am like almost physically sick mm. with the stress of trying to figure out the next action, the next yep. chore chart, the next reward model, the next you know parenting with love and logic, whatever you mm-hmm. whatever book. And the Lord, I just prayed, and the Lord brought Isaiah sixty one, but not about. Um, he brought the part at the end about being an oak of righteousness. Yeah. And what he told me, he said, Michael is an oak of righteousness. And I went, an oak, an oak tree, huh? So I started doing some research on oak trees. Mm-hmm. And they're slow growing. 
and they don't bear fruit, which is the acorn, until they're in their 20s, until the mm. tree's about 20 years old. Yep. And he told me, he said, don't worry, I've got this. He is going to be a mighty oak of righteousness on display for my glory. Yep. And I thought that gave me such peace. Yeah. And then it helped me step back and say, I can watch and be forward-minded about my child instead of in a panic mindset. Like yeah. of the here and now, it's a Tuesday and he's being disrespectful. I'm going to panic as opposed to, no, the Lord says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep yep. praying for him. Keep telling him about me. And I told Michael what the Lord said to me. I said, you know what? I've been praying for you mm -hmm. and you are special. And God has made you so very special. And he's told me, see that oak tree in our backyard? You're like that. See how tall and strong and beautiful mm -hmm. that tree is? That's who you are. Yeah. You are a mighty oak of righteousness. And it says in the Bible that these trees fight for people who can't fight for themselves. For They take care of poor people and sick people and people that are hurting, and that's what you're going to be like. And that ga even gave him yeah. this real sense of, because I think he felt a little out of control, you know, sure. as like a yep. strong-willed kid that maybe is a little misunderstood, you know. He's he's rambunctious. He's, he's just full of life. I mean, he's wonderful. Yes. Uh, he's opinionated. But it gave him peace to know that Jesus, like this is the way you started mm -hmm. it in Revelation, that God's got it. Yeah. Like no matter... Um, what's going on? And I, I think about Gentry Eddings and what he said um, after he and Hadley lost their their oldest two boys in the accident. He said, it's not over until it's good because God is good. Yep. And I think that really, I think wraps up this whole series in a way because that's what God's doing. He's in the business of renewal and restoration. I mean, he's in this business that it's, it's not over until it's good because he's good. This is, uh, if you look in... Uh, Romans, you see this one of my favorite verses that talks about that when we face adversity, that there is something that emerges that are these when we don't know how to pray. It says when you don't know how to pray, that the Spirit will intercede for you with uh, words that you can't understand. In other words, even when we get so when life so pushes us, we don't know quite what to ask for. We don't know what to do that God's Spirit will actually pray for us. And right after that, it talks about these first fruits of the Spirit, These this idea of that right now, which is what you're seeing, your son Michael, along with all of our children, along with all adults, we're in this already and not yet tension that we live in in the world. We are already sons and daughters of God through Christ, as we have come to know him, we have been forgiven of the past. We are this new creation. We are this uh, amazing work of God. And yet at the same time, we know that around us lies ruin, that there is disruption. There are areas of our lives that need to be renewed and rebuilt. We are not yet the perfect people God's created us to be, free of sin, free of shortcomings, free of pain, that that's, that is emerging out of the reality of where we are right now. And that is what the book of Revelation is all about. But what I love are these, this idea that the church, the people of God, church family, people of God, first united whatever church, Forest Hill, all churches, that the people of God gather together and that we see these first fruits. I grew up in Florida. And we had all these orange trees in our backyard, and it was so much fun. One, we would like, you know, have orange, 
Orange Wars, which was a whole different thing that uh, that we would battle. And there's nothing more fun than pelting your big brother with an orange on the side of the head. Um, that was always fun. So we had a great time doing that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm sorry, David, if you're watching. I apologize <laughs> for the, the orange that I threw at your childhood. For the, <laughs> for the multiple oranges, the green ones were the ones that really hurt. Oh yeah. The orange ones would smoosh. The green ones, oh, they they'll leave like them cannonballs. <laughs> That's exactly. So we would have these words, but but here's what you'd come to the first ones that turned orange, and it was this excitement of what's to come. It was this kind of thing of wow, this one's good. I'm not throwing this. I'm going to eat this one. Oh. This is what's going to, I can't wait until, you know, and within weeks, the whole tree is full of these amazing oranges. They were tangelos, as we have tangelo trees. They're wonderful. And you just go out and eat them right off the tree. It's incredible. But here's the thing. In all of our lives, in our kids' lives, we want to look at all the green oranges. We want to go, look at all the green oranges. They're not, what? What in the world? This is Why not, aren't they orange? Yes. Why aren't they ready? Instead of looking at the at the orange one and going, this is what it's going to look like. Mm. This is the person they're going to be one day. And, you know, it, to me, that's one of the most encouraging things. Now, none of us will get totally there until heaven. But one of the most encouraging things I have when I think about and I work with families who've lost a loved one, and particularly when that person has struggled in their life, they've had some issue or issues that have been hard. They have known, uh, they place their faith in Jesus. They have known him and followed him but it's not been a perfect, and it isn't for any of us, but they've struggled outwardly where people have seen. One of the things that brings so much comfort is to a family is when I say, you don't just have the one orange anymore. You don't just have the one thing that you see about your dad that was so wonderful, but all the other that he struggled with and all the painful memories that you have. Your dad is now the person that he was created to be from the very beginning of time. He is now or the person who struggled, who had emphysema, and died a, a very painful death, they're now breathing and running and exactly who God made them to be. Th that to me is the encouragement of where we're heading. It's the idea that these first fruits of the kingdom, that what God is renewing, what he's making new is both now to be celebrated, but gives us great hope in the future, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how disappointed we are that we did that stupid thing yet again, or our spouse did that stupid thing yet again, or our kids are acting the way that we don't want them to act, or this financial thing isn't working, whatever the struggle is, that God's got this. And the book of Revelation says, and it's going to be okay. So don't get discouraged. Don't lose your faith. Find God in all the ways that he's given us to find and know that he is making all this new and we'll get to heaven and everything will be exactly as he planned it to be. Mm, that's so exciting. So exciting. I'm never going to look at an orange the same. There you go. Yeah, a tangelo. Right. Would you close us in prayer and would you pray for the listeners right now who are saying, God, I want to see you in the midst of my mess. Yeah. I want to. I, I want to watch and see you work, but I, I'm afraid or I'm, I'm not sure I can, but Lord, I just want to see you in the midst of my mess. Heavenly Father, we first pause to remember that it is an incredible thing that we could pray and that you would not only care enough, but you tell us in your word that you actually incline your ear, that you bend down to listen to us with the billions of people, both in the past and present, 
who have prayed to you and reached out to you, God, that you hear us individually. It's more than our minds can comprehend, and that's why you are God, and we are but your creations. And Father, we know as uh, creations who are here in a world that has signs of amazing love and generosity and kindness, but it is all surrounded by selfishness and physical pain and difficulty and sadness and violence and unforgiveness and discrimination and even the the world itself with uh, pollution and and God in the midst of, of all those things help keep us focused Jesus on you and on the first fruits of what you are creating here on earth that will one day be realized completely in heaven I pray for all of us who are discouraged that we would be, have our heads lifted by you, Holy Spirit, with an understanding that where we are is not where we're going to end, and that there is always hope, that every time, God, that we face adversity, there is hope that you not only will get us through it, but that you'll use that adversity to make us look more like you, to more like the people you created us to be. And that one day, God, as your word paints in Revelation 21, we will be gathered around your throne where there'll be no more pain and no more crying, no more physical pain and disease, no more mental illness, where we will be completely perfect in your sight and people from every tribe and every nation will be gathered around as one humanity, worshiping you. May that begin now in small ways in all of our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone. We hope you have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving, if you're listening to this, uh, actually on Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving. We are thankful for you, and we are grateful for you joining this community here at Forest Hill and here at the Digging Deeper podcast. Have a great one. See you next week.